from Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. church and he's he's really first corinthians 14 is somewhat unique because it's a passage that deals specifically with what happens when we gather as a church and so it's it's really about meetings and gatherings whether you no matter what you're used to calling them paul's talking about this moment right here and this phrase god is really here among you is a phrase that paul will use and what he's laying in front of this corinthian church is a goal he's saying it should be able to be said by unbelievers and by those who are not familiar with the Holy Spirit that when you come, when they come into your gatherings, there should be such an evidence and such a sense of the move of God that they could say, whoa, God is here. Now, I love that. I think that we walk in a lot of that already. Uh, this morning, I was standing out in the coffee area and a gentleman came up to me. He's like, oh man, pastor, the Holy Spirit is so here. I'm like, yeah, I love that. That's what we contend for, right? That's what we're hungry for. But I wanted, I wanted to take a look at this phrase and break it into two aspects of teaching. And this morning, I kind of want to wrap up this teaching. The two aspects we looked at were the why and the how. Why? Why does God want his presence to invade a culture and to be known and tangible? And the first one that we looked at was that God's presence cor- corrects misconceptions or misunderstandings about who he is. How many would agree that there's a lot of bad God images and concepts out there? A lot of people that ascribe things to God think things about God that just aren't true. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been misunderstood or someone believed something about you that wasn't true, there's a natural tendency to go, wait, time out, that's not me. And I think God loves to invade a room with his presence and define his own name is the way I'd like to say it. The second thing that I think is the why that God wants, why he wants his presence to invade our culture when we're together is because his presence brings benefit to people. It's just a simple thing. It's easy to overlook, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's benefit. People come in in conditions of brokenness and woundedness, whether it's emotional or physical, and the spirit of God brings freedom to that. The third thing is, if you look at the cross, we, we look at the cross a lot because we do bread and cup weekly. There's a moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's almost to the end of his life. Arms are stretched out, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And then the veil in the temple comes down, and the veil was, was the thing that kept the presence of God contained. And the picture for us is Jesus waited to give up his life because he dies right after that. He waited to give up his life until he knew he had secured for mankind the opportunity to live in the presence of God. And so it's so easy for us in our Western mind to just think about the presence of God as this reality. Yeah, he's out there. He's all over. Paul's talking about something very, very different. Paul's talking about a tangible, expressed, knowable presence of God. And so the question we ask is, how do we partner with that? The first thing that Paul will teach this Corinthian church is that when each of us are willing to listen to the voice of God and function in our gifting, we're helping to create an environment for his presence. 
So that means and when, when, when we're in a gathering, whether we're shaking hands or maybe the God drops something in your heart for somebody and you get a sense of, oh, I'm supposed to pray for them. And, and some of us might go, I didn't hear it, I didn't hear it, I didn't hear it, I didn't hear it. We try to ignore it because it feels weird. But some of us are willing to step into that and go, you know what, God, I think God has something for you. And when we do that, all of us doing that, it creates an environment for the presence of God. Probably one of the more important things for me is Paul will teach in 1 Corinthians 14 to be as innocent as babies when it comes to evil. And we looked at that and said, when we learn to live intentionally innocent, meaning we move towards purity, we contend for purity, we say no to sin as a people, we live in holiness, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week. I want us to realize that Part of the partnership with the presence of God, when we hunger to walk in the expression of the presence of God, it begins to shift and shape our daily lives, where, and it controls our decision-making because we realize, I don't want to do anything that jeopardizes my intimacy with Him. I want to say no to sin because He told me to. He told me to, to put aside foolishness like that and just chase Him. And so for some of us, I want to encourage us to continue and remain pure in our pursuit of God. Say no to sin. If I can't, Pastor, yes, you can. You absolutely can. The Lord would never call us to something we couldn't do. I don't want to might be a better statement. And the answer to that, maybe you're wrestling with historic habitual sin. Repentance literally means to agree with God about something. So one of the ways we repent is we look at the area that we know we're we're moving into that's wrong and just say, Lord, I recognize this is wrong. Holy Spirit, will you help me to say no to that? It's not very easy. No, no, it's not. Habits are habits because we create them. Sin is a habit. So in the same way I create a habit towards sin, I can create a habit towards righteousness by systematically, habitually doing it. And before too long, that partnership with God takes over and I no longer crave what I craved. How many understand if you eat chocolate every single day for three or four weeks and then you stop cold turkey, you're going to crave chocolate? Let's put it in a more North American grid. If you drink coffee every single day and you're like me and you wake up and the first thing you do is Jesus can't talk without coffee in your hand. And then all of a sudden you decide, cold turkey, I'm stopping. 9 or 10 a.m., your body reminds you that you haven't had coffee because that headache kicks in. But if you can fight through the difficulty of saying no and continue to say no, pretty soon you've weaned your body off the addiction. Does that make sense? Sin is the exact same way. We create addictive cycles with sin, and the way we break that is by getting before the Lord, confessing it to Him, aligning with what He said to do, crying out for His grace, and then being willing to do the work to move past sin. And then this third thing that we looked at last week, and I want to finish up today, when we gather and when we authentically worship, God moves. We looked at two passages of Scripture last week. We looked at Psalm 100 and Psalm 22. Psalm 100 is the process of moving into an encounter with God. 
It's the process of moving into an encounter with God. If anyone said, I don't know how to connect with God, Psalm 100 is just a simple tutorial about what it looks like to move into an encounter with God. The first decision is to enter, and it's proprietary. It's important that we grab onto this, that each of us is responsible to make our own decision to enter the presence of God. I want to connect with God. Therefore, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go in with gratitude. Move into deeper places with God through praise. Now, we looked at this word praise, and we highlighted a definition, clamorously foolish. Now, it is an accurate understanding of what the word looks like, but I think there's an even simpler way. During the week, as I looked at it, I'm like, I don't know if that's as clean as it could be. If we look at the root, how many understand that Hebrew is like a, a pictorial language? So it's a glyph-based language. If you look at the, the glyph that creates this word, the simple definition is... Hands up, eyes on you. Think about that as a definition of praise. That what it really means to praise God is to live in a way where hands up, what do hands up usually mean? Surrender, adoration. It's, it's definitely an external way of saying, you're greater than I am. Eyes on you. What does it look like to live in a way? A, a lifestyle of praise means throughout my daily life, my eyes are on God. No matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm at, whether it's at home, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's, it's driving, I'm just in a constant state of looking at him. He's my guide. He's my teacher. He's my leader. And this is the concept of praise, is just to live in this place of surrender before him with my eyes on him. And the psalmist will say, we enter his gates with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Like, and I, I like to say it this way, letting the history of God's faithfulness in my life fuel my praise. I'm bringing before him just the reminder of how faithful he is. It's not that he forgets. We sing a song, love came down, and there's a tag in it that says, I remind myself of all that you've done. I would encourage us to learn to remind ourselves of his faithfulness. Because it's easy at times to get so fixated on what's in front of us and allow the, the natural course of life to begin to overwhelm our perspective. I love about praise that it causes me to remember who he is instead of what I'm facing. And then the psalmist will say that, that we settle in adoration. Just that this morning was so beautiful, just to settle in. And just begin to worship him and love on him for who he is. And so Psalm 100 is a, a process. It's a tutorial on what it looks like to just move into this encounter. And then Psalm 22 is a promise that when we do that, the presence of God invades a place when that happens. It says he's enthroned on the praises of Israel. Israel is his people. Literally, the word, the word picture is those who depend on him. And so when we his people who are dependent on him make the decision to enter in. It says he comes and he rests on that. But Psalm 68 takes it one step further, and I want to finish our time this morning looking at that. How many understand the term system process? Maybe you're in, the, you're in some type of tech world where there's a system process, and it just means that there are steps that sequentially lead to an eventuality. Psalm 100 is the beginning of the system process. Here's what I love about Psalm 100. It's the part we control. It's actually the only part we control. I control whether or not I came with an agenda to worship. I control whether or not I made the decision to enter his gates. 
It's mine, it's proprietary. I control the thanksgiving aspect. I control the memory of his faithfulness. No one can do that for me. And Psalm 22 is the initial reality that that decision brings. But Psalm 68 talks about the outcome, the end game. Your procession has come into view, O God. The procession of my God and King as he goes into the sanctuary. Singers are in front, musicians behind. Between them are young women playing tambourines. Praise God, all you people of Israel. Praise God, the source of Israel's life. I want to look at this phrase, singers are in front, musicians behind. Because I think it's a template for supernatural worship. You're like, what? How is that a template for supernatural worship? How many have been to church more than once? How many recognize that there's a certain liturgy, whether it's in a Pentecostal or charismatic church? The liturgy is we come in, the band kind of starts, we let them initially pave the way. Sometimes as a worship leader, I'll be honest, it feels like you have a machete and you're going through the jungle trying to cut a path. There's other times where there's a, remember the movie Sixth Sense? Anybody remember that movie? Had that little kid that said, I see dead people. Every once in a while as a worship leader, that's what it used to feel like. I would lead worship and I, in my head, that's what I was hearing the whole time. You see, but the psalmist will say, singers are in front, musicians are behind. And I want to show us something that I think is vital. That supernatural, God-inspired, when heaven invades earth, that kind of worship is fueled by the hearts of people going vertical. The musicians are actually there to support that. And in this way, we understand that we, as a family, own our pursuit. I'm not coming waiting for somebody to lead me. I came with an agenda. My agenda is I'm coming after you, Lord. I'm going to declare your worth. I'm declaring your praise. I sure hope they can keep up. We must become a people that own this praise idea. If we want to be the people that contend for the move of God, that see revival invade this region, it is, it is birthed and fueled by this kind of worship. And the worship really has very little to do with what's going on here. We're counting on them to support where we're going. Amen? How many have ever thought about worship from that lens? It's my job. When I'm driving to church, I'm thinking about his faithfulness. I'm planning on it. I can't wait when I get together with the people of God because I'm going to begin to declare his worth. Praise God, all you people of Israel. Praise the Lord, the source of Israel's life. So this first phrase, praise God, all you people of Israel. The word phrase is actually a corporate calling and it literally means each of you bless God while you are together in the congregation. Each of you bless God. The word is barak, to kneel, adoration. It's the idea of intimate worship. Each of you do this while you're together in the congregation. Why is that important? Because it's an, it's an actual calling, which means we've been given a responsibility. Each of us are to come together with our agenda set to worship him, to adore him. All of us together, uniquely coming with our own personal agendas, together corporately creates this torrent that's incredible. 2012, I was out in Redding, California. I was at a church called Bethel. Uh, we were there to, uh, my company was there to work on their sound. Uh, it was, 
it was the Open Heavens Conference, I think, or something like that. And I had never been there before. And so I'm standing in the sound booth because uh, one of my closest friends is their front of house sound guy. Uh, and so we're standing there and it's a 10 a.m. gathering on a Thursday morning. Not exactly prime time for worship. And there's about 1,200 people in the room. And so the worship team stands up and they, and they, they kind of open the morning. Somebody prays in and the worship team plays like a chord and then they, they, they shift to like a second chord and they, they, the worship leader gets out like three lyric, three words. And all of a sudden the room, I'm standing at the back and the room just goes vertical. I, don't, I've ne- I had never experienced anything like that in my life. Well, I just stood there kind of in awe and went, huh. You see, because at that moment, there's no way it could have been an anointing on a worship leader. What it was, was a collection of people that had come intent on meeting with their God. And they were waiting for no one. It just went vertical. And I saw something I had never seen before. That authentic, supernatural worship is fueled by people coming after their God. It's not about a system on a stage. I want to end with this last phrase, your procession has come into view, O God. The procession of my God and King as he goes into the sanctuary. Again, going back to the Hebrew being a pictorial language, the glyph for this word is a shepherd's staff, and it indicates nomadic movement of a shepherd. So we consider this phrase here, your procession has come into view, O God, the procession of my God and King as he goes into the sanctuary. What this is indicating is not just the invading presence of God or the reality of God's presence. It's actually now talking about the movements of God. Do we understand that difference? The abiding presence is one thing. But the specific, tangible activity of God is another thing. And this is what Psalm 68 is talking about, that the culmination of the decision we made way back there, which was to enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart, enter his courts with praise, the culmination of that when we all choose it together is that the move of God comes into view. How many would say in your lifetime, at least once, you've been hungry for the move of God? And you want to, you want to, how many are like me and you hate boring church? I think I would rather do anything in the world than go to boring church. Because I, I, I think God's super exciting when I'm just hanging out with him alone. So when I get with a bunch of people that aren't convinced of that and it's boring, I'm like, I'm out. But I don't think God ever intended the gathering of his people to be boring. In fact, scripture would reveal that every time God's people gather and his presence invades, it's electric and it's alive and stuff is happening. So your procession has come into view, O oh God. Now, think about a nomadic shepherd. Where are they? Close. Could I offer a simple idea with the sheep? In this way, what if I could ask this question? What if God is naturally inclined to go where these worshipers dwell? I would love to say this, the move of God is not mysterious that God has given us a blueprint and a roadmap of what it looks like to become a people that host his presence, the activity of heaven. It deals with the intentionality and the passion we have towards his presence, the way we worship. The word come into view here literally means to be on display. And then the last phrase, 
the procession of my God and King as he goes into the sanctuary. This sanctuary is a place of honor. It's sacred. It's a place that's been set apart. When we come together as a people and we've made up our mind, I personally am coming after him. Nothing is going to get in the way of me worshiping my God and my King. When we do that and all of us have made that decision and we come together, there's a supernatural draw in that room. We literally draw the king into the room. We draw the activity of heaven into the room. The movement of God is tangibly displayed in places where he is honored. Say, great, what's it look like to walk in honor towards him? It's simple. It's this idea of hands up, eyes on you. When we live our life every day with our focus on him, our attention on him, our affections towards him, we are setting the stage for this kind of arena where heaven invades earth. I want to lay out in front of us a line in the sand and just say, hey, this is who we are to be. What is in the heart of God is for a people in every city to be so passionate about his presence that we will learn to biblically worship like this, to give ourselves fully to him. And when that happens, he begins to express and invade and revival starts breaking out. People start walking in and they can come into a room knowing nothing about God and what they say is, whoa, God's here among you. What I've been looking for, I've found. Let's stand this morning. When we gather and when we authentically worship, he moves. It's that simple. So Father, we stand before you today humbled by the scriptures, challenged and excited. For me, this is just an invitation to chase you like never before. Lord, I know that I said I was putting a line in the sand, but that's really not what I sense. I feel like it's you putting one. And the invitation is, will you become that people who chase me with everything you have? So Lord, we cry out this week for just the revelation of your goodness, that you would begin to inform fresh worship, fresh passion. Lord, I pray you begin to drop songs into people that didn't know they were songwriters. I pray you begin to drop phrases into people that didn't, that didn't even know where they came from, that you begin to release the sound of heaven into this house in all the different ways it could happen, not just through the band, but through our, through our own prayers and through our own heart cry. Lord, that we would wake up in the morning with new songs in our heart, that we would go to bed tonight with the memory of your faithfulness. We love you, we honor you, we give you all glory. We are believing for and contending for the day when you invade this region like never before. May your face shine upon us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.